So today I'm going to give a brief overview of the drought governance arrangements in the UK with a focus on England. And I'm specifically going to give a bit of an update on the work that we've been doing in Workstream A2, and that's uh, Dr. Katina Langa and Dr. Chris Decker and me, Dr. Christine Cook. And our project is about understanding how drought and water scarcity are regulated. So I wanted to start with a picture of what privatized water provision in England looks like. Um, these are the key actors. We have the government ministry, the Department of Environment, Food and Rural Affairs. We have three regulators, an environmental regulator, a quality regulator, and an economic regulator. Then we have the water supply and sewage providers, and that's water companies. Um, some in England are water-only suppliers, and some are water and sewage suppliers. Uh, we have third-party experts. Those are consultants, and then we have consumer customer citizens, which are you and me and various uh, commercial interests that would be in need of water provision. And also important statutory actors are Natural England and the Consumer Council for Water, but they won't be the focus of this discussion today. So on A2, what are we doing and so what? Our objective is to understand how regulatory tools and related practices work. In essence, this is how does the law work in practice? It may say something in legislation and in the regulations, but typically it doesn't work exactly as it reads in the leg legislation, or there are nuances in, in institutional arrangements that aren't easy to understand by reading the legislation. So our, our goal is to advance the analysis of the key regulatory tools and related knowledge practices by understanding them as part of a wider governance space. So what of our work is that the mapping of the governance space should help to identify specific points at which different or enhanced knowledge practices can make the most difference. So we hope to contribute to advancing adaptive governance for drought and water scarcity, and we hope to inform a greater integration of environmental science and economics knowledge practices to support resilience. How are we working in A2? We're mapping the governance space in a three-part study. We're looking at drought planning by water companies. We're looking at the preliminary program of obstruction reform. So that's the Restoring obstruction, Sustainable Obstruction Program, um, which is I refer to as pre preliminary because we are expecting in the UK by the early 2020s uh, an overhaul of obstruction licensing as it is now, and that's the big obstruction reform project that DEFRA is undertaking. And our third case study is a historic experience of drought permits and orders. And by historic, we mean here uh, in the last two droughts in the UK, so from 2003 to 2006 and from 2010 to 2012. And how do we do this? Well, we're looking at documentary analysis. So we look at academic literature, we look at government policy, and water company documents that are in the public domain. We're doing regulatory analysis. And we're also doing some empirical work, which is interviewing uh, key people at water companies, at regulators, uh, various consultants, and various abstractors who are also involved in the abstraction reform processes. So the focus of today's presentation is on drought planning. And specifically, we're looking in England rather than looking in Wales, Scotland, or Northern Ireland. So moving on to what we're actually doing in A2, I'm going to show you a map of drought planning in England. So I've taken some of these uh, actors that you saw in the first diagram in this presentation and put them into relation with each other. So you'll see the UK government, DEFRA, um, the Environment Agency, off water companies, customer citizens, and then at the side I have consultants and 
Natural England, Consumer Council for Water, and the Drinking Water Inspector. So I've added the EU in because there is some um, steer from the European Union with regard to water resources management planning, and it's found in three separate directives, the Water Framework Directive, the Strategic Environmental Assessment Directive, and the Habitats Regulation Directive. So then I've also added into this slide uh, the DEFRA legislation and policies, which the EU interprets and produces a drought plan guidance from, which then water companies rely on in order to prepare their water company drought plans. And I've got some dotted lines in there to show the relationships between those different uh, legislative or um, policy instruments and how they relate to the drought plans. With respect to the EU impact on drought planning in the UK, um, as I said, there's three directives, and they have different influences, and, and our work has shown that, that these tools are viewed differently by, by water companies. So for now, the Water Framework Directive isn't playing a major role, and that's in part because it allows for temporary deteriorations in water quality. So it sort of provides, in the words of one of our interview participants, a get-out clause. Um, for drought plans needing to comply with the Water Framework Directive. But that may change. There is new EA guidance on, on drought planning that may require um, that water companies have greater reference to the Water Framework Directive. Strategic environmental assessments, there seems to be some uncertainty as to whether they apply to drought plans in the water industry because um, some people see them as not being strictly required on an operational plan as uh, such as the drought management plan. However, we are seeing that some water companies do use strategic environmental assessments on drought plans, and in part this may be uh, simply to manage the relationship with the regulator rather than seeing them having a, a, a really substantial impact on how they construct their drought plan. But this is in contrast to the habitats regulation assessments, which seem to be more um, useful for water companies in understanding the sort of cumulative impact of the, of the drought management options that they're selecting. Now, of course, all this has to be understood in the context of different uh, water company patches, and that is that drought management options will be more or less relevant um, based on particular factors. So, for example, the geology and geography of a water company's area um, will dictate different drought management options. So this includes whether you, what the mix of groundwater, surface water, and coastal location is, but it also includes, you know, what are, what are the, how many environmental sites, European sites, uh, domestic um, environmental sites exist within the water company, and how does that influence what options they have. The customer base may be important in choosing drought management options because there are different tools that apply to domestic and commercial customers. Uh, the degree of meter penetration amongst domestic customers may be important in terms of what uh, effect temporary use bans may have on demand. And that's because the, the more people are metered, um, usually the more efficient and, and more conser conserving of water they are. And so when you put on a temporary use ban, you may get less response than, than you would in a, in a community where people don't typically use or don't have meters. The past experience that a water company has with a drought can be important to understanding what drought management options they'll choose. If something's been successful, they'll go back to it. If it hasn't, they may not. Um, 
So it, experience is useful, um, whether it can also restrict the kind of options thinking that water companies do is an open question. The degree of uh, grid network that a water company has, the extent of that grid network, can it really influence um, drought management options as well. And finally, social discourse. So what's the UK public's expectation of water services? Um, if you read company drought plans, you'll find that there's a reference to levels of service and a suggestion that in 2013 or 2014, uh, the 2015, the years in which these plans are written, that their water companies are reporting that customers are not going to be tolerant of, of something such as a standpipe, which was the way that uh, the 1976 drought was managed. A little bit more about drought management options. First, I want to say that supply-side measures obviously are to get more water into the system, and demand-side measures are to conserve um, water use and possibly increase efficiency. How the measures are used and in what balance will be unique in each water company, and it's in part because of legislation and guidance that water companies choose drought management options, but it's also about things like context, as I just spoke about on the last slide, as well as environmental, economic, and experiential knowledges that a water company might have. So looking more closely at those options, um, I've chosen three to speak about a little bit more and refer to the legal institution that they're guided by. So temporary use bans, uh, work on demand management, and they're now um, governed by the Water Use Temporary Bans Order 2010. So this is a, an option now that water companies can apply temporary use bans without um, needing to consult either the Environment Agency or the uh, Secretary of State. Drought permits relate to increasing um, the amount of supply that water companies can access, and that's found in the Water Resources Act, Section 79A. And drought orders, which include non-essential use bans um, that apply to demand, and they also may affect supply, are found in the Water Resources Act, Sections 73 to 79. So temporary use bans require decision-making on priority uses and users, and they must be used before a drought permit or order is applied for. So they're kind of a, they're kind of a, a second stage drought management option. They're usually used after a water company has embarked on a publicity campaign uh, to encourage all customers to, to be mindful of the kind of water usage uh, that's appropriate during a drought onset. Um, and they, things like uh, temporary use bans include watering a garden or cleaning a private motor vehicle or filling a domestic swimming pool with a hose pipe. So you could still water your garden or clean your motor vehicle with a bucket and a, a sponge, but you wouldn't be able to use a, a hose pipe to do that. So here I've just listed out the 11 categories of uses that are subject to temporary um, use bans. And um, I won't read through them, though you'll be familiar with many of them. And um, I just would say that, that a temporary use ban will typically be applied to a water resource zone, which is the area within which the management of supply and demand is largely self-contained. And it means that the supply infrastructure and demand centers are generally integrated to the extent that all customers in a water resource zone should experience the same risk of supply failure and therefore share the same level of service. Drought permits really only address supply, and there's something water companies apply for um, to authorize the taking of the source 
um, taking more water from a source in a permit or to suspend any restrictions that they may have regarding that supply source. So the water company applies to the environment agency for a drought permit and they do it when they think that they can say that an exceptional shortage of rain has caused a serious deficiency or threatens to cause a serious deficiency. Drought orders really sit at the at the top of the um, pyramid of drought order options. They are not granted very often and they're not applied for very often. Um, and they can restrict use and impact obstructions and discharges. And both the EA and water companies can apply to the Secretary of State for a drought order. And in this case, it's based on a reason of exceptional shortage of rain. And there's two levels. There's an ordinary uh, drought order or an emergency drought order. So the non-essential use bans that, that could be part of a water company uh, ordinary drought order include um, this list of activities, but uh, they'll look really familiar. It's just they're like the temporary use ban categories, only in this case they're applied to uh, commercial customers, and um, they require really thinking through what the potential in economic impacts could be. So banning watering of outdoor plants in a commercial context could really affect nurseries, for example. Um, banning the cleaning of windows could really affect window washing companies. So here we start to see the complexity of what it means to, to implement a drug order and also gives us some references to why uh, in the legislation the, the DEFRA has said water companies need to have as little recourse as possible to these kinds of regulatory options because they have real impacts on, on people's lives and businesses. So finally, I want to return to the map of drought governance space, and I showed you this a little bit earlier. Um, and one of the things that's coming out of our work, which is still in process, is that this real relationship with consultants with just about everybody in this regulatory space. So um, that says something interesting about how knowledge practices flow um, and what knowledge practices, either environmental or economic or both, um, as well as experience knowledge, um, gets prioritized. So that's something we're continuing to to um, to explore. And in this governance map, the arrows um, that are double-sided and in black really show the, the flow of information and legal resources, and, and that's what our work is about. The A2 takeaways are that we're mapping the governance space of drought and water scarcity in the UK. Today I've focused on England because that's where our work is most advanced. We're seeking to identify the the specific points at which different or enhanced knowledge practices can make the most difference, and we're contributing to adaptive governance for drought and water scarcity and a greater integration of environmental science and economics knowledges for resilience. Thank you.